Amen. How many of you believe that 2023 is going to be your best year? I believe the Lord has spoken to me and given me a, a theme for this year. I don't take that lightly. I don't come up with a theme that just sounds nice. Uh, we came up with a theme that we believe from the Lord, discipleship last year. Um, that's not necessarily an exciting word uh, for some people, but we believe in the importance of being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But this year, I believe that the Lord has placed upon my heart the theme of restoration. And I want to continue that theme today from the book of Joel, if you would turn to that. In the Old Testament, we're getting you familiar with books of the Bible that maybe you've never looked into or never read, but they're inspired by God. God has placed them there for a purpose. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to equip you, amen? amen. And as I'm praying over this theme and just seeking the Lord for direction and vision for this church, just um, feel strongly that God wants to just impact us and impart to us uh, a mentality of restoration because it's so important what we think of, what we think upon. So as I was praying and just felt led to give a call to an evangelist, a preacher that we had last year, many of you remember Pat Schatzlein, he came and ministered uh, just in a powerful way. Uh, he, he brought us to the altar and, and, and place of just seeking God and God poured out his spirit. And uh, so I called him and we set up dates. If you want to just mark this down right now, mark it in your calendar. May 21st and 22nd, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night, we'll have three special meetings with this powerful um, communicator and anointed man of God. But he sent me, while we were on the phone, he sent me a text. He said, this is just the prophetic word that God gave him, uh, August 27, 2022, for the new year. And this is what he sent me. He said, I am about to shift this land. This is a word that the Lord spoke to him. The Lord says, I am about to shift this land. I am changing the landscape. I will turn back the tide of darkness for a season. I am calling my children back to me just as Ezra did when he rebuilt the altar and the remnant came home. My people are to no longer operate as citizens of the systems of this world. I will empower them to be strangers and pilgrims. In this season, you will be challenged and threatened, but fear not, for I will not only guard you, but I have already dispatched angels to surround you. You must fight against the lies of culture and the confusion that is settled on my inheritance. You must worship in the quiet moments and declare in, this, in the confused moments. You, you will see fruit as never before. I have already begun to turn the impossible in your favor. This day I am quieting the voice of Nebuchadnezzar. These are those who only declare my name when I prove myself. These are those that praise me when it's convenient. I am sending confusion to those who will not stand in wholeness of heart and spirit for me. I have destined you to walk out this season with my armor, my spirit, and my authority. Watch how I move. I have created a portal of my glory over this house. Ask me today for a miracle and I will meet you where you stand. I will give you lands, dwelling places, and territory. I have the deeds in my hand. Only ask, simply ask. Amen. 
I share that with you because I believe that the spirit and the essence of that word is what I believe God has spoken to my heart about restoration. So I want to speak to you this morning, the God of restoration, part two. I want to continue this theme. I believe that God is the God of restoration. We all live with some measure of regrets, missed opportunities in life, mistakes that have set us back, mistreatment or abuse by others that have seemingly stunted our growth, wrong choices that have caused wasted time and lost years, life circumstances that have pulled the rug from underneath us, sins, failures that have caused broken relationships, lost money, lost reputation, diminished ministry, fruitfulness. Maybe in your situation, maybe it was a divorce, a failed business, a bankruptcy, a drug addiction, alcoholism. It's like the locusts we will read about in Joel's time that have eaten up money, relationships, and time. The questions, the thoughts torment us. Can I recover? Can I live life fully? Can I make up for lost time, money, lost memorable moments? I want to share with you the hope and the expectation that is found in the God of the Bible. Can you say amen? amen. Romans chapter, 12, chapter 15 the word of God tells us so powerfully in Romans 15, verse 4, whatsoever things were written before, whatsoever things were written before, that includes Joel, the prophet Joel. That speaks of what was written in Genesis through Malachi in the Old Testament. Whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We might have hope. Down to verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad this morning that we serve a God who is known as the God of hope. What is hope? Hope is a confident expectation of good things that will happen in the future. A confident expectation, a belief, a hope that things will turn out good. Matter of fact, they will turn out better. Amen. What is restoration? Restoration is the act of returning something to a former owner or a place or a condition. Some of the synonyms for restoration is to refresh, to rejuvenate, and to renew. What God, that's what God promises to his people who will trust him. The God of the Bible revealed as one who blesses people for their faith and their trust, making up for them lost time and hardship that they have gone through. Matter of fact, God gives us more than we previously had. What a hope that is. What a promise. What an encouragement in the house of God this morning. Let's look at the story. Let's put this message in its proper context this morning. Let's look at Joel. Who is Joel? Joel was a prophet 
around 800 B.C. So 800 years before Christ walked on the earth, God sent a prophet by the name of Joel. The purpose of his writing was the people of God, Judah, was being devastated by a vast horde of locusts. I'm going to use the word horde this morning and not swarm. Some of you weren't here last week. Some of you were here, but you really weren't here. You would know what that meant. Judah, the people of God. Now, I want you to understand something. In the Old Testament, when we hear about Israel or Judah, we're talking about two uh, of, of the same. It was a united kingdom that became divided because of their rebellion and, and, and a breakdown in, in the kingdom. But in the Old Testament, God dealt with the world through the nation of Israel. God communicated to the whole world through his people, the people of Israel in the land of Israel. In the New Testament, in the day and age we're living in for the last 2,000 years, God speaks now to the world through you, through the church. Old Testament, it was the, the people of Israel, the people, the chosen people of God that he spoke to the world. The New Testament, you and I are a part of right now, he speaks to the world through the church. So when we talk about messages to Israel or to Judah, we're talking about speaking to his people that he might communicate to the whole world his promises, his word, his truth. Can you say amen? So here is the prophet Joel who comes on the scene and he's, he's speaking of and he's uh, uh, um, identifying a problem in the land and this problem is a devastation by these locusts. This, this invasion of locusts destroyed everything. I just want to quickly read the verses because they're the word of God and they could communicate better than I can. Verses 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. This was such an epic moment. This was such a serious invasion that devastated the land that other generations would hear about it. Verse 4, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten and what the crawling locust left the consuming locust has eaten verse 10 the field is wasted the land mourns for the grain is ruined the new wine is dried up and the oil fails be ashamed you farmers uh, wail you vine dresses for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has perished Verse 12, the vine has dried up, the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree, the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Go back, go uh, to verse 16. Um, Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed, grain, uh, shrivels under the clods, storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. Even nature was affected, how the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture, even the flocks of the sheep suffer your punishment. Chapter 2, verse 3, a fire devours before them and, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them, 
but behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Wow. We see a picture here. We see Joel, the prophet, just painting a picture of what it looked like in the land, this devastation, the fields of grain, the gardens, the vines, everything has been destroyed. Joel the prophet is describing the locusts symbolically as a marching human army, views all of this, all that, that we see in this chapter and in, in this book is really um, a, a divine judgment coming against the nation, the people of God for their sins. Now I want to just take a moment right there and, and just talk about sin. Um, you see, they were suffering this this plague, this pestilence, this, this horrible uh, swarm of locusts that came and destroyed everything were because the people had turned from God, they had sinned, they had disobeyed God, they, are broken, they had broken God's commandments. As I look out this morning, I look at such holy people, it looks like you haven't sinned in years. Yeah, right. I know better. We all know better. You see, the Bible talks about sin. Sin is a breaking of the commandments of God. Sin is a transgression of the laws in the holy and righteous nat uh, nature of our God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, Verse 14, if we could have that up on the screen, James chapter 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The next verse. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. We could have that scripture. Look what the word of God tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The Bible says, do not, be, do not be, be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. He who sows to his flesh or his earthly nature or to satisfy his sinful desires shall of the flesh reap corruption. The Bible says, don't be mocked. I mean, God, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, you can't make a fool out of God. God knows it all. He sees it all. And he's well aware of what you and I have done, whether we've sinned in our thoughts or in our words or in our actions. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, if we, if, I'm sorry, the, the, the recording stuck. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and make him out to be a liar. If we say we have no sin, so when we come into the house of God or we come before God, we, we say to God, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, uh, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, presumptuous sins, sins that we, they were aware of. Uh, and then, and then even, even the Psalmist David said, Lord, deliver me from secret sins, sins that nobody knows about. 
that you know about. As a matter of fact, search my heart to see if there's any wicked way in me. Not that God can't see, but we can't see it sometimes. Maybe we're blind to it. God, reveal it to me so I can see it. You see, sin in the eyes of God is a very serious thing. In the eyes of our culture, it's not, it's not serious. We, we have renamed things. You know, in our culture, gambling used to be wrong. You, you had to go to a bookie to get a place a bet. Now all you have to do is watch TV and they got these, these people just, just telling you between the game how you can bet on the game, how you can win all this money. That's a sucker's play. They wouldn't be having that if you were going to win all this money. We got casinos open 24 hours a day now. We got places, when I was young and I wanted a bet, I had to go in a secret place to a secret person to place a bet. Now our culture, it's gambling all over. Same with, with now, now we, we legalize pot, now it's not just for medicinal purposes, now it's recreational purposes. You know, you, 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 you start with that, it always leads to something worse. And people say, oh no, I can handle it. You know, uh, uh, someone in, 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 in drug rehab, uh, uh, a, clinical, uh, a clinician told me, they said, not everyone that smokes pot ends up doing heroin, but everyone who does heroin started smoking pot. So you do the math. And then we have, now, instead of adultery... It's called an extramarital affair. It almost sounds like something you do in school. Extracurricular activity. God help us. An extracurricular, an extramarital affair. That's just something on your resume now. I not only participated this way, but I had an extra. The reason why hordes... The reason why this plague came, because people mocked God. People try to say sin wasn't an issue. They did their own thing. But sin always has its consequences. Be not deceived. He who sows to your, the flesh will reap corruption. Do not be deceived. Now, if I left you here... I would not be a preacher of the gospel because the word gospel from the Greek means good news. Hello? So for me to be true to the gospel and true to the message of the gospel uh, is, is to bring you good news. But, but see, you know what I've learned in ministry? I've learned in ministry that you don't necessarily preach, you don't necessarily appreciate the good news until you know how bad the bad news is. Nobody's reaching out for a savior unless they know they're drowning, unless they know they're condemned, unless they know their sin is dragging them to the very pit of hell. So the good news shines the brightest when you understand how bad the bad news is. The bad news is that there is a judgment of God against sin. The good news is that there's forgiveness and there is a hope of restoration. Can you say amen? amen. So let's, let's look at this a little further. The theme in Joel is a judgment with a promise of restoration. I didn't forget about the theme. 
But you can't appreciate how awesome, how great restoration is until you know how bad the devastation is in the effects of our wrong choices and the wrong choices of other people. So Joel, what he does is he, he uses this, this, uh, this message or this, this severe plague of locusts that's followed by a severe play, a famine throughout the land. He uses this as a catalyst to send a warning to the people of Judah. He uses this to let them know, unless you repent quickly and completely, another army will come that will invade the land and de devour not only the crops but the people. You see, this is a sobering warning to the people of God during that, that time, but it's also a sobering warning to the people of God today that must be heard. The ruin, the devastation, the consequences of the people's sin, mistakes, wrong choices, whatever you want to call it, the disobedience, the rebellion against the holy God is the need or the time for the people of God to make a change. Look at, what, look at how this, this shifts. I want you to turn to Joel chapter 2. After God talks about all of the devastation, look at this shift in the narrative. Look at this important shift. There's a change in the tone of the book. Here's the change. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. What does the word of God say? Now therefore, turn to me with all your heart. You see, this is, this is critical right now. If there's going to be re restoration... And God wants to restore us. God wants to restore each one of you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to restore you. Now ask that person, do you believe it? You see, it's conditional. Now therefore... Now, therefore, anytime you study the scriptures, when you, you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you know what, a, what is a principle of Bible study and understanding the Bible? Anytime you see therefore, you ask the question is, what is it therefore? And what that means when you, when you see therefore, it means you look back and you read the context. What is the context? The context is ruined by the devastating effects of the locusts. Ruined because of the sin and the rebellion and the disobedience of people. That is the context. So God says, therefore, therefore, turn to me with all of your heart. What is that word? That word is repentance. There can be no restoration in my life. There can be no restoration in your life as long as we blame other people and put the point the finger at other people and refuse to take responsibility for our part in the matter. Amen. Repentance means we acknowledge. The word repentance simply means a turning around. It's a change of mind. You turn from evil to turn to God. You turn from your own thoughts and your ways of doing things that you think are right and you say, God, I submit to your word and to what you have said. I believe that is right. 
You see, you agree with God about what is right, what is true, what is acceptable in his presence. Not according to social media, not according to this world. This world is sin sick. This world is confused. This world is messed up. And those thoughts and those mentalities are even creeping in the church. And even Christians don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't even know that there's discernment. They can't discern between good and evil. God, have mercy. That's why we all need to repent. Repentance is a turning. What happens when you're lost? Uh, you're going in the wrong direction. You know, you might, you know, back in the day when, when, when I first started driving, some of you young people can't even understand this. You know, when, when you drove somewhere, you had written directions, and, and, and if you didn't know where you were going, you would stop at a gas station. Were they geniuses? I mean, did they know where everything was? Let's stop at the gas station. Uh, let's stop at the fire. Oh, there's a fire station. Or oh, the police. Uh, can you give us directions? And, and I don't know what it is. Well, I do know what it is. But with men, I could be as lost as can be with my wife. And, and she say, stop. Let's get. No, I know where we're going. No, I just think if we take this turn, if we take this turn. And, and you know what I realize that is? That simply is pride. I couldn't, I, I said, why? I couldn't stop. I couldn't pull over. I thought it was like, it was a, a slight on my manhood. Like I was a failure. My wife was going to look at me. You mean you didn't know how to get there? No, I, I, I confess. I give up. But I wouldn't stop. But isn't that an image? Well, isn't that a, a metaphor? Isn't that a truth? Spiritually, we could be mixed up. We could be messed up. We could be so bound by sin, but we keep running in the wrong direction, making excuses, covering it up, trying to blame other people, lying. And you know what? We're only getting further and further away from the God who loves us. Turn. Turn to me, the Lord says. Repent. Turn around. I, I, he's slow to anger. He's merciful. He's gracious. But there has to be that, that repentance. Turn to me with all your heart, God says. All. A-double-L. Not partial. There used to be something in our wedding vows from the Book of Common Prayer from 1892. I don't know, I don't think we use it anymore, but it might be good to put it back in our marriage vows. Forsaking all. Do we still have that in our marriage vows? No. Now we've got these cute little flowery things, sweetie quotes, reads to her husband and her husband reads some nice flowery thing. What does it mean? <laughs> Forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. Imagine if I told my wife or I had my vows, honey, I forsake half of others. She would have hit me with a frying pan. <laughs> Forsaking all. The Lord says, turn to me with all of your heart. God says, turn. And he adds with fasting and weeping and mourning. What is that about? That, that shows a, a brokenness. That shows a heart that, that, that surrendered to God.
says, God, have mercy. I come with no excuses. I come with no, no justifications. I'm guilty before you, God, have mercy. It speaks of a passion. And, and look what verse 13 says, and I'm almost done. Rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart and not your garments. You know what that, that speaks of? You see, real repentance is not to be outward, an outward show for people. You know, we've learned in the church, those that have been around a little while, we learn how to play church. What, what that means is we, we know how to put on a good show. We know how to say the right things at the right time, and we know how to, to gloss over things. We know how to pat people on the back and, and, and be nice to people and gain favor and gain friends. And, and all the while, things are in our life. They're all wrong, and, and, and some Christians are too gullible and too ignorant and lacking discernment. They don't even see through that, and so you play the game, and it works good for a while. Now, I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about the other churches. But see, God says, rend your heart, not your garments. You see, rending garments was an ancient, ancient custom that sing, signaled uh, intense grief, repentance, or zeal. It, it was an outward show of that. Nothing necessarily wrong with it, but God saw through that because many just did the outward. They just rend their garments. They, they try to make a show for other people. God says, I don't want you to rend your garment. I want you to rent your heart. That means that, means that there is this, this brokenness. That means you're acknowledging your sin and you're asking God for forgiveness and restoration. You see, that's what God desires. It says, in, it says in Psalm 51, David, after he had sinned in, in committing adultery with Bathsheba and killing her husband, I mean, you say, how in the world could a man after the heart of God do that? Well, let me tell you, any of us, all of us, if we go on the path of sin, little by little by little, we gain momentum, and, and it's a downward spiral. That's why the Bible says, come out from among them. Be separate. Don't try to be like the world. Don't try to go to the club and do shots with some movie star. Don't try to be cool and try to be like the world. Come out from among them. Be separate, said the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I know it's not popular. I know church people don't necessarily like you to get up in their face and up in their grill, but let me tell you, it's the truth. God wants to restore you, but there has to be conditions. There are conditions. It's called repentance. It's called the turning around. How many are still with me? Repentance is a turning to God. Look how God is so gracious. The Bible says in verse 13, he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. He will leave a blessing. Psalm 103 says, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, and he has not rewarded us after our iniquities. Thank you, God. He's not rewarded us according to what we deserve. Psalm 130 says, if you, Lord, kept track of iniquities, who could stand? If the Lord kept the list like some people do. Do you ever meet people who remember what you did to them 38 years ago? And they know it in detail. Oh, my Lord, they can tell you. I mean, 
photographic memories for the wrong things. 38 years ago, 30 years ago, they got dates, places, and times. That's what the Bible says, if the Lord kept track, if the Lord marked iniquities, if he, if he kept a talk. Imagine some of our list would have a scroll. And don't, no, 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 listen, you've got to understand something. Again, we based sin on the world standard. God looks at the heart. You, 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 could, you could be a, a good upstanding citizen in the community, but in your heart be full of pride and evil and all manner of sin, and God sees it all. God sees it all. Repentance. And I close with, I close with this. We want to see restoration, but I got to preach to you the whole counsel of God. Restoration just doesn't fall like ripe fruit off a tree. Restoration just doesn't happen because you, you come to church, pay your tithes one week, and, 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 and come to prayer and fasting. I, I wish that was it. There's more to it. It involves repentance. Re fasting and prayer could be the part of the process that softens our heart to get to the place of surrendering to God. How many of you are still with me this morning? But this is part, if God is going to bring restoration in your life, in my life, in our church, in all the areas we're believing, we have to turn to him with all our heart. And I'm going to next week get to the rest of this message, but this is critical that we get this. We all know the story in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. There's the story of two sons with their father. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my inheritance right now. He was basically saying, I wish you were dead because I want to collect on the money. So the father gave him half of his inheritance. The scriptures tell us that this young man went out and he wasted it on riotous living, on loose living, one, one Bible translation says. He went out and he partied. He had a good time. He was having fun. How many of you know this fun in sin? Come on, don't look so holy this morning. That's not a trick question. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. For a season. The older you get, the shorter that season becomes. And the greater and the bigger the season of regret and guilt and shame and pain and heartache. But the Bible says he went out and he had a party. He had a good time. And you know what? His friends were all around him because he had money. Then he lost it all. He squandered it all. And, he, and no one gave him anything to eat. All his friends says, bye now. Nice knowing you. And the Bible says he went and he began to feed pigs. And he was a Jewish person, so that was the lowest possible job, the lowest possible way to make money. He's feeding the pigs. And he was so hungry that he was even eating the slop that he was, that he was given to the, to the pigs. But then, you see, that's, that's the, the consequences of the sin. But here's the repentance. The Bible says, then he came to his senses. Sin is spiritual insanity. Sin will take you down a road that you don't want to go down. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. But the Bible says he came to his senses and he said, listen, my... This, my, my, the servants in my father's house have more to eat than I do. Here's what I'll do. I'll arise and I'll go to my father's house and I'll say, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of the hired servants. 
And that was his repentance. That was him saying, you know what? I'm not going to strut back to my father's house. I can't demand anything anymore. I've blown it. I've lost it all. All I can do is humble myself. The Bible says when he made that turn and he began to come back to his father's house, his father was looking. And one, as soon as his father saw him on the horizon, the Bible says the father ran towards him. Now, in Jewish culture, in, in, in Middle Eastern culture in the first century, it was inappropriate for a man to run. But you know what? His love and his, his desire and his heart for his child was so great, he, he cast aside all of uh, the, the social norms. And he ran for his son. And the Bible says that, that the son didn't even have a chance to get out of his mouth the beginning of his, of his speech of repentance. His father embraced him and said, you're my son. I love you. And the Bible said he kissed him, kissed his neck. And the Bible says that he called for his servants and said, kill the fatted calf. My son who was lost is alive. He was lost, now he's found. And the Bible says he brought out not only the fatted calf, but he brought out a robe, sandals, and a ring. Each of those have significance of restoration. Each of those spe speak of him being restored to sonship. They speak restored to authority. The ring was a signet ring by which he can transact business. And the father was saying, I restore you. You've blown it. You've sinned. You've wasted my wealth. But I still love you. And put a, put a robe on him. Put a sandals on him. Put a, put a ring on him. He's restored. He's my son. I love him. He's back with me. Now that's just a parable. That's, that's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's an earthly story to communicate spiritual truth. And that was a lesson and that was a message of the love that Father God has for you and I this morning. The love that he has. And someone said the feet of repentance are very slow. But the feet for forgiveness are swift. In other words, it took him a while to turn around and come back to God. Sometimes it takes us a while. But when he turned around, the father ran towards him. The father's running towards you. He's running towards me. That same love is not a, a child's Bible study and not a little cute little lesson for children. That's a truth from the word of God for each and every one of us. God's love is amazing. He's running after you. The, as soon as you turn, as soon as I turn, God's running towards us. Our part is in this is simply to turn towards him and God will do the rest. God will restore what the enemy has taken. I read a story of a very famous, and I close with this. We're going to pray. A famous speaker in America, God has raised up a woman preacher, preaches around the world. Not going to necessarily use her name because sometimes people get all funny. They have all their judgmental and pharisaical persuasions against people. They don't know all about them. But she, she, she shared the story of her own restoration. She said, I remember when I desperately needed to recover from the abuse in my past. I had thought that when I was old enough to leave home, I would leave the pain behind, but the problem was in my soul. 
my thinking, my emotions. I needed healing and restoration so I wouldn't continue to be poisoned by the things that happened to me all those years growing up. I came to the realization after a woman, woman came to speak at our church and shared her testimony of how she had been abused and God had healed her. My husband bought her book for me and when I started to read it, it was so painful that I threw it across the room and refused to pick it up. But then I clearly heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. It's time. God had a much better life for me than what I had known up to that point, and he wanted to restore my soul so I could experience it. That's the amazing testimony, my amazing testimony, someone who was sexually abused by their own father, and God has raised me up to be one of the glorious lights of the gospel in the world over. Would you stand together with me? Praise God. Would you bow your heads and just just close in with God for a moment. I don't want to I don't want to just rush or or too quickly transition from this sober moment, this serious moment of self-reflection. I know that just by virtue of the number of people in this room and knowing human nature, God God wants to bring conviction I, all of our lives, you know, there's none without sin. We all categorize sin, but all sin is sin in God's eyes. We judge greater and lesser, but God still looks at the heart, and we all need repentance. I believe God's doing a work of restoration in this church, in your lives. I believe he's doing it in my life, my wife, and and, in so many areas. And I I believe the best is yet to come. And I believe God's going to bring great restoration in 2023. But it's got to start in our hearts. Now turn to me, the Lord says, with all your heart. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean you necessarily come and start weeping at the altar. That might be okay. That might, some of you, that might be necessary, but it isn't necessarily the sign that's needed. It's just the heart that surrenders to God. So as the worship teams begin, begins to sing whatever they have prepared, I want you to move out of your seat. And... Don't worry about people judging you because after they judge you, that's their sin and they should be at the altar. But just come. Just come because you believe that 2023 is going to be a year of restoration. But the the pivot, the, the shift has to be because of repentance. There's no restoration. There's no restoring until there's repentance. And that's our part. And it's simply acknowledging it. Would you just come as they begin to sing? And, and in just in a few minutes, I'll close in prayer. But I, want, I don't want people moving around or talking or disrupting anyone. Just take these few moments between you and God. And just, just come, turn to God with all your heart. With all your heart.